Welcome along to a very happy, I'm sure, podcast uh, this week, uh, the Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman, and thanks to the support of charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, and so much more, um, here we are again with another podcast, a day later than normal, because the Manchester Derby took place on the Sunday. Uh, just to let you know, by the way, the next podcast will be recorded on Sunday as normal, but that will be the day before the Crystal Palace match. And then the week after, City have now been drawn against Southampton on a Sunday. So I suspect that will be back on a Monday again. So a bit all over the place at the moment, but bear with us. Um, thanks again to charleslouis.co.uk, who are Chartered Mortgage Advisors. They do uh, buying and selling properties as well, commercially and private. Check them out on the website, charleslouis.co.uk. And you can see what they do. You can see the telephone number. You can have a look at the website and you can give them a bell if you think they can give you some advice on how to get a mortgage, how to broker a deal, that sort of thing. Now, my special guest for this particular podcast uh, is somebody that you're very familiar with, I'm sure, because he's everywhere these days. Um, he's on City <laughs> TV, he's on Sky, he's covering the Afri Africa Cup of Nations. There's no stopping this man now. He's become a phenomenon, and he's still found time to come on this podcast. So for that, I'm very grateful. It is, of course, Nader Manua. Nader, <laughs> he's, still, he's still got your feet on the ground. Uh, yeah, I don't think the special guest thing really works. I'm just a guest now. Surely that's what happens when you've been on a few times now. <laughs> well, you're always a welcome guest, that is for sure. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. We've also got with us Harlan and we've got Adam Waring, who's with us as well. So we've got um, uh, three voices as well as mine that you will hear in the next uh, in the next hour or so. And I would imagine everybody's got really good things to say uh, because City beat United 4-1 in the Manchester derby. Just in case you were living on a rock under a rock, which is, I think, what mostly United fans, to be fair, are doing at the moment. Um, but if you're a City fan, you will know that City won by four goals to one. And um, I mean, I'd have to say, from where I was sitting watching the game, that particularly in the second half, but throughout the game, I never had any particular concerns. Even when United got a goal back through City's former academy product, well, not former academy product, he is an academy product, Jaden Sancho. But even at that point, I just thought, City is still going to win this. When I heard all the, all the fans saying before the game that they were nervous, I thought, what are you nervous about? We're in a different era here. Um, Nadem, I mean, did you, you wouldn't have felt, felt nervous. I mean, come on, well, put, put us right on this. No, no, no. I, I understand this sort of trepidation. It's because you've been a City fan for longer than two minutes. So as a consequence, this feeling of it's all going to go wrong, it will never leave your soul, I feel. Like you, it almost feels like you're in a very nice position, because you can see it for what it is. And what it is, is what happened. But then you even try and figure it out. And under Pep, like we've lost four games against Man United at home. Like that blows my mind because in that time, United have essentially been playing for nothing yet still they've had our number at that stadium. So there's, there is that sense of like, you know, things are going to go wrong and it's going to be United that make things even worse. But thankfully, you know, as they went out there, like it was, a, for me, it was a beautiful day because you got to see exactly where City are and got to see exactly where United are. And United are like at the point where people are saying they need to literally blow it up and start all over again. And that like is music to my ears because I've got friends who are United fans. And I, like, I'm not too critical of them. I just say, oh, so what do you think went wrong then? And they start going through the list and like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. And anything else? Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, it's a tough situation to be in that, mate. You know, I feel for you guys. Whilst all the while thinking, I hope this continues for the rest of my life. Seriously. <laughs> when you were playing for City, it wasn't quite like this, was it? I mean, well, do you think this is, how long is this going to carry on for, do you think? 
I genuinely, I, I don't know. And the annoying thing is, like, when United at some point in the future gain momentum, like, it will feel, it will feel horrible because they're like, this is as low as I've seen them in my lifetime, to be honest. Like, I know I've not been, I'm, I'm 35 years old. I'm sure they've had worse times than this. But the fact that every player is being questioned and by their own fan base and by everybody else as well, it's like, it's like a thing of beauty because that game itself, especially the second half, like, you could, we can make all the comparisons about talent, but it wasn't solely about that because there'd be teams who are less talented than United are who would put up a better, a bigger fight than they did in that second half. So you question the character, you're hearing rumbles about people refusing to play or refusing to travel with the squad. And all the while, like, you've got Man City in pure harmony playing beautiful football and like just destroying United in what felt like third gear. It's a truly beautiful moment to be a Manchester City fan. Let me just say that. I can actually say, which you three can't, that I actually saw City, uh, sorry, United relegated from the top flight in the early 70s. I, and, and, and I'll tell you how much I got the pleasure from that. Um, I had a mate who was a United fan, home and away, and, uh, and I asked him, <laughs> and I collect programmes, I certainly used to do anyway, and I said to him, will you get me a programme from every United away game that you go to? And I, collect, and I thought, why am I doing this? But I just wanted to have physical evidence that United <laughs> had been relegated. They played Aston Villa in that season when they were down. So I've got Aston Villa versus Manchester United in the second division, as was. So I can relate to it. And obviously, the other thing is that banner that was up at Stretford End. Mm. You know, that, that, that hurts. Did that hurt you as a player, Nadine, when yeah. you were a player? Yeah, it did, especially because for most of my time at City, like it wasn't like we were just going to just suddenly find a way to win something. But I think, so I was on radio this weekend and all of a sudden all those old quotes that were coming out after the 4-3 where Fergie's like, never in my lifetime, noisy neighbours, all this stuff. Like as far as bad takes go, you know what I mean? That That's a pretty significant one to see where they are now. And for, for him to believe that this was like a false dawn for Man City, like could, people couldn't have got it any more wrong. Like literally couldn't have got it any more wrong. And to, and what happened to them? Like like the rise of City and the fall of Manchester United. I don't know what else I could possibly wish for at this moment in terms of Mancunian football, if that makes sense. Well, we're all obviously on the same page on this one. Um, in terms of how good the performance was by City, and I'll ask the other two lads on the podcast in just a second, um, but I, I certainly don't want to demean City's performance. But do you look at that and think that's what we'll see when Liverpool come to visit in the next Premier League home game? Or we United just bad? Um, I think City at their best are literally like, in my opinion, essentially unplayable. Like if they're all clinical, they're a joke from front to back. But the thing about Liverpool is that they're a bit, they've got more of an identity. So whereas United started with something that was a bit different at the start of the game, and it was working quite well. When things went wrong, they couldn't revert back to anything that's been working because they've been searching for that identity for what feels like two, three years now. Whereas for City, like they played right into their hands, a team that comes and half, press, half presses them. What's the point? Like never in all my years as a professional have I seen a 15 minute spell where somebody had 92% possession. Like it's 11 versus 11 in a derby. At the very least, you just go and be a wrecking ball. Just go and just like clatter someone, get, get into your team and say, this is unacceptable because you're being humiliated. All lays in a Manchester derby. Like that's insane. 
and they were fully justified all lays because all those players in the city team they knew where they they knew how to move the ball they trust each other like we're like even as a fan you're thinking to yourself oh there's a bit of danger here as edison's rolling it to laporte rolling it to stones that's part that's like step one and step two of like a seven step plan to all of a sudden just be running at man united and you still sort of think oh there's a bit of danger but they've got total control over it and i think for liverpool if liverpool are getting battered or something within a game i think they'll adapt or they'll just get about city and that'll form a different sort of challenge and in some ways i guess from a neutral perspective I think the fact that the two diff- the two best teams in the league at the moment play in two completely different ways always makes for it being a good matchup. Whereas the one that, that United tried on the weekend was literally never going to work for longer than about 10, 15 minutes. Very eloquently put. Uh, let's see what Harlan's got to say about the derby. I'm sure you've got something to, to add to the debate here. You've uh, heard what Nedim's got to say. Away you go, Harlan. Yeah, I think I think you just look at the goal for you and th- th- there's just no comparison between the two sides at all. They are... I went into that game not even one bit scared. There was a lot of people who were stood together before the match kicked off. A lot of people nervous. A lot of people nervous because it's a derby. And I think it is is to Blues, especially to us. It's treated as a different kind of game. It's not a league game. It's not not a cup game. It's it's its own kind of... It's its own league, isn't it? There's like two games in the season... And you want to you want to try and win both. It's it's not it's separate to anything else. It's separate to even a, a Champions League final. It's it is its own thing. Um, so I think the nerves are because you don't want to lose the bragging rights. But I think if everybody was honest, if you were to put our team on paper and show them videos of the last five seasons for both sides, you would convince them that we were going to steamroll United yesterday. And I think that that's just because fans need to go in with some pessimism because of who we are and that's because we we don't want to become everything that we hated you know from united fans over the years but i said the other month on the potty and there comes a time where you've got to you've got to be confident you've got to be excited you've got to start enjoying the fruits of pep's labor and actually want to relish and bathe in what we've what we've done over the last five five years because if you don't, this will pass you by, and you'll 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 almost regret not not really lavishing in it. Um, we took them apart. There's no other way to put it. Ned and put it eloquently. We took them apart. You know, the pressing was better. The the way we moved the ball. I mean, you know, yes, it was four one against the poor United side in that second half. We mauled them. You may as well have been, we may as well have been playing a Norwich. No offense to Norwich, that's offensive to Norwich. But you look at the way we moved the ball, the pass selection the speed of pass, the quickness of thought, the weight of pass, the quality from individuals like De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Mares, who a lot of fans said was maybe a bit absent first half, came into uh, his own in the second half. The quality all over the pitch and the real process, which Nadam alluded to before, and the identity was evident from even minute one all the way through until minute 93. And I think that's why United could sign anybody in the world you know, they've gone and signed the best or the second best player in the world, and it's not fixed, something that is so, so broken. It, it's not an easy fix, that. It is, and Gary Neville is right. It's going to take a long, long time. Is Rangnick the man to take them forward as a director or as a, a man upstairs? Not quite sure. It's a mess. And to, to, to have what we've got, they would have to do so, 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 so much. But in that time, it's going to take them to do that. We're only going to get further away. Before I bring Adam in, I'll just add this as well. I mean, 
I've always been a little bit puzzled by Paul Pogba and what he brings to the table. There's no doubt he has some amazing talent. I mean, some of the passing he can do is just majestic. And, and I know we're, this is a City podcast, but I'm prepared to say that. And he can score some picturesque goals. But the guy never puts, to me, he never puts a shift in. That's the difference. If you look at Bernardo Silva, you look at Phil Foden, you look at... Um, you know, um, Kevin De Bruyne, you know, the best player in Europe in theory, and certainly one of the best anyway. When City lose possession, they're all over the opposition, like they swarm all over the opposition and put all that effort in. And yet you look at Pogba and you look at one or two of the other big names that United have got and you don't see that effort. To me, fundamentally, that is one of the big differences between City and United that were in that derby. Um, Adam, um, what, what, what do you want to say about the derby? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything's sort of been said, but I, I think that, yeah, they looked actually all right for the first 20 minutes, I felt. And when they got the equaliser, whether it was right or not, whether I had a few too many beers or not, I did feel like it wasn't too much against the run of play. I felt it was pretty much end-to-end uh, for the first 20-ish. Um, but then, obviously, the second half was just an annihilation, wasn't it? And I feel like the second half was a real showing of the gulf between us, um, whereas the first half, we, you know, we didn't start our best, I didn't feel, or, or United overperformed uh, for, their, for their average. Um, Sancho's goal was really well taken. Obviously, he's going to become, I think he's going to become a really good player. Um, so is it quite good to see him do well? I don't know. I'd rather him do well than, he, than any other United player. But um, yeah, I thought it was a really good finish. So fair play to him. But then, yeah, we just, we just dominated, didn't we? And, and we embarrassed him. Um, in terms of United, I don't know whether it's from the manager or the players themselves, because obviously Pep demands so much from our players that they have to run so far, otherwise they get dragged off the pitch. But maybe that's not the case at United. Maybe if they feel like they've got a bit more slack. Um, and clearly that is, it's not the way it works. So um, I, I don't know who's at fault there, but in terms of our performance, I mean, second half was unbelievable. Ball retention, perfect. And, and yeah, we, we just did the job professionally, didn't it? And I think... It will, I'd like to think that the Champions League games later in the season will become a bit like that as well. You know, Pep's started to move towards this control-based football where you don't concede the ball. You know, we played Grealish yesterday for a reason. And for me, that was to keep the ball. Um, and he did that perfectly. The reason why Grealish played in that game and played in the previous derby for me is the fact he doesn't lose the ball. He gets it, he carries it, and then he, he lays it off. He, he rarely ever loses the ball. And I think... That's the the way that you win a Champions League um, by taking less risks, and that's what we did in the second half. Even though we were, you know, two one up, three one up, then four one up, we weren't taking many risks. We were just playing our way, and I do think that second half is sort of like the br- the blueprint for how we need to go going forward, particularly in the Champions League, where we've been susceptible to the odd mistake, the odd counter attack, that sort of thing. So it was really promising. So those statistics of the amount of possession that City had, particularly in that last 15 minutes or so, are absolute perfect Pep Guardiola statistics. And the fact that Ruben Diaz wasn't playing in that game, so I mean, this is no disrespect to Ruben Diaz, but didn't matter, did it? Because if you've got the ball and you're at the other end and you're passing it around, um, it doesn't. You, you could practically. I saw a sort of mock-up of a picture. <laughs> I know I'm going off at a slight tangent here, and it showed Edison 
um, sort of, well, it wasn't a mock-up, he was crouched down on the edge of the centre circle, but I know I saw another one that was mocked up where he was sort of leaning against the post reading a book or on his phone or something. I mean, that is how little the defenders, and this must be painful you, for you to talk about, Nadam, you know, a, this is a team that perhaps doesn't need defenders most of the time, isn't no, it? No, 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 I'll, I'll have to jump in there, I'll have to jump in. I think the beauty of those defenders, and also to mention the Ruben Diaz thing, this season, we've gotten used to seeing him not playing every single game because the rotation amongst the three or four of them has been so good. So him not playing is like, oh yeah, we've seen this from Stones and from Laporte before. But the thing about those defenders back there is that they offer you no encouragement. They don't really make mistakes and they're very clinical with what they do. If somebody's going to make a channel run, they'll bump them before the ball comes in. Then they'll go and take them, take them 1v1 and they won't dive in. So it seems like they're doing nothing, but what it means is what they're actually doing is making sure there's no encouragement whatsoever. And that's the beauty of City as a whole, because like for United, if you break past their midfield, their midfield's not going to really run back full tilt. Like as we saw for the, um, I think for the De Bruyne first goal, as he slots it in, there are three, four United players who are probably 10, 15 yards just higher up and they're not involved in the game at all. But if they came back a bit further, they would be. Whereas for City, every time they lose the ball, it's that swarm, as you say. And that's horrendous to play against, especially when everybody's doing it and they're all on the same page. And that's what happens with the defenders. They can be more aggressive because they know that the people at top are applying pressure as well. And, as, and then when you know Edison's not going to be like chained to his line, it's, it's horrible to play against them for United. Like it broke, you could see it broke their spirit. Come the end of the game, it broke their spirit because there were some people that thought, oh, let's still go and press. But pressing only works when you all do it. So when two or three of you do it, before you know it, the press is beaten. And then people are now taking the back foot. The defenders don't want you to press anymore. So now you've got two teams. The two teams on your own team. The team that wants to go and try and do something and the team that's scared to try and do too much. And that's a nightmare. And that's because of what City make you do. Like, I, I'll be completely honest. When I was playing for City in the early days, like they were talking to Stuart Pearce, if I was playing right back and we were trying to play it around from the back, I'd be in my position and the ball's not near me. But then you get sort of get a sense that everything's going wrong. So you start to just retreat back just a little bit before you lose the ball. Whereas for these City players, there's so much trust in, in all the players in there and they know they'll make the right decision. You can just wait and the ball will find its way to you in the right moment. Like even with, say, Mars, we could say he was quiet for that first half, but it's because they were making the decision that that left side was the one which was the most sort of like fruitful in terms of finding attacks. But Mares stayed patient because his job was still to stand there and to occupy Tellers. So many other players, like this, there's a lot of things like that because so many other players, you know, the teams, if they don't get a touch, they'll just come drifting inside just to touch it for the sake of touching it. But that's when you're not on the same page as the rest of your teammates. So that sort of selflessness and desire to win and to win well, like it's glorious at the end of it. Like I would have loved to have just felt that once in my career, that 45 minutes. Oh my goodness gracious me. Everyone had an option. Everyone was making the right pass. There's press in the crowd. Like I thought the crowd was incredible yesterday. So picture that as a red. When you can't get near the ball, you're four one down. And the crowd are letting you know, like giving all lays, but you still can't even get close enough to be able to tackle anybody. Like people say they gave up, but I'd, I'd ask like, what else could they have done? You know what I mean? Well, I would say as well, and on, Hal will come in in a second, but um, whilst you're right in pointing out the discipline of Riyad Mahrez of staying in his position, and obviously that is key, seems mm -hmm. to be a key bit of what Pep does. What to me is, is, is a fairly obvious thing to say, but 
is the key to all this is that every one of the 11 players, and that's why they're all interchangeable. You know, you can bring in three or four changes and they, they don't look any different, really, front, middle, back, whatever, is that every single one of them has the ability to play a first-time ball mm-hmm. accurately to exactly where it needs to go. You know, at the time when it needs to go to the feet, it goes to the feet. When it needs to be a yard in front of the player because he's on the move, that's where the ball goes. Every single one of them is completely on the right and the same wavelength. And if you look at other teams, you look at United, you look at any team that City play at the moment, obviously in the latter stage of the Champions League and when they play Liverpool, we might see a slight difference. But generally, when City play anybody, their teams have specialists. They have, you know, Maguire, who is a defender. They have Pogba, who's a midfielder. You know, they have... You know, somebody who, well, it doesn't matter, I won't go through the whole United team, but they have players who are specialists. You don't really look at City and think of them as specialists, do you? No, No, not at all. Um, I think the best way that I can describe it, having also, like I had to go and work at Old Trafford one time recently, it was like the weirdest four hours of my life, but ended up in them losing. So in the end, you know, I got away with it. But um, (laughs) they, as you look at their team sheet, they've got lots of good players but they don't mix together. So it's almost like you've just thrown ingredients into a pot and hope that it's a masterpiece. Whereas for City, they're always recruiting and putting in things that complement what's already there, complement the system, whether it's technically, technically, tactically, just the nature of a person and so on. So it's it's always the key, the key is the like the outcome. Like this, they're working from that instead of, as I say, we're United. They brought in, as I say, one of the top two players in the history of the game, and they're now worse. Like that's let that out. They were second last year, brought in Rafael Varane, Jaden Sancho, and Cristiano Ronaldo, and they're worse. Like it just goes to show sometimes it's not just solely about the talent, it's the whole mix. And those players that were out there, for as good as they are for United and so on, you can see that they don't trust each other. They're different, they're different, different sorry, they're like fractions within the team. The, mid, the defenders are frustrated with the midfielders, midfielders frustrated with the defenders, the attackers looking back as disgraced, and then the defenders are thinking attackers go and bail us out, but they're not doing. Like I've, I've sensed that in some teams that I've played before and I'll be honest with you, it's horrendous. But when everybody's on the same page and they can be like City are with the ability that they have as well, like you get to see 45 minute slots like we saw uh, the other day because as I say, the, you, I guess Manchester United didn't have a shot in the second half and they barely touched the ball. Like that's, that's not something I thought I'd ever say in my lifetime. Yeah, Ian, just on, on something Adam said, and you mentioned it yourself. I think... You know, managers managers manage games in in segments. So two forty five minute segments, maybe manage it in fifteen minute, you know, stages, or, or or obviously make decisions based on how the game's going. Pep for me manages it in like two minute segments. You know, mm. if he notices that something's wrong, he's Johnny on the spot. He changes it. Um, that's why you see players out of position, or so you think as a fan. You think, why is Phil Foden playing left back? In, in, an, you know, in, a, in an old school way, he is in theory in the left-back position. But there's a reason why he's there and it's to aid us bringing the ball forward. Or, or like Nadam said before about Jack Grealish, for example, he's dropped that deep to help us progress the ball, almost in like a rugby sense, you know, you know gain yardage on the opposition. And people are, are wondering as fans sometimes, you know, we want Grealish on the left wing. What's he doing so, so deep? And it's, it, it's so theoretic in Pep's head why players are where and you you often see him gesturing and it, it almost looks erratic. Um, mm. 
but the erratic gesturing is completely and utterly understood. And it is the language of the Manchester City team. The players understand exactly what their arm movements, they understand exactly what the manager wants from them. And that's why he can he can call he can come um decompartmentalize a game, you know, minute by minute, two minute by two minute period. And the goals are not if a goal comes immediately after he's made a tactical change, it's not an accident. It was meant to happen. He was meant to yeah. aid aid that. He was meant to aid that happening. Um, you know, yesterday there was there was a passage in the second half around 50, 60 minutes and uh 55, 60 minutes, sorry, and Phil Foden took up the 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 the, the, the deepest central midfield position. And then the next minute Grealish was left of him and Rodri was in front of them inside the centre circle. And it almost looks like the whole midfield is inverted. But there's a reason why. And it's it's difficult if you're not a footballing fan to understand that the players are actually out of position and aren't doing what you think the manager has asked them to do. Mm. But the flexibility and the, the the fluidity in our side is is so it's almost and Nadim, you, you will probably you will probably understand what I'm saying here. It is it is too advanced for even yeah. It is too advanced for anyone to even compute. And it will never, ever, ever, as long as I live, get the credit it deserves. Yeah. Because there's maybe not enough people that are understanding understanding enough to appreciate it. And the only people that really will are the people that study Pep in depth. Yeah. And that genuinely give themselves the opportunity to appreciate football outside of statistics. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. And so sorry to jump in, Ian, but the way that they do it, like Pep's got his vision and you could say he's like, he's a madman or whatever, but the football in IQ amongst those players make it possible. You know, you can coach them, but when he says to them, I want you to go here because of this, they understand the why and that's why they do it so well. I think for teams like United and other teams who are struggling, when someone might come up with something that's a bit quirky, you immediately met with resistance and say, why that doesn't work. I'm not going to be able to do this, but for them, they understand the value in it. And one thing that's the best about them, because one of my friends played against him in the cup last year and he was at Swansea. He said, they're just continually asking you questions because the way that you've seen the game throughout your entire life is no longer seen that same way. Like how, I remember when he did this, uh, when he was at Bayern and they were playing against Man United and Ryan Giggs was standing in the left midfield position defensively. And he's, he's, the, he's the exact right position that he's been in for 20 years, except Philip Lahm wasn't there anymore. So Giggs was just standing. He was basically just on an island serving no purpose because Pep had seen something different. And now the people around them within the team, they're trying to figure out like, how do we adapt to this, to these rotations? Why is there somebody that's five yards in front of me that shouldn't be there? Like when you play against City, the days of just like having straight matchups, whereby it's this guy versus that guy, it's me versus him. Those days are gone because they could literally be anybody anywhere. And I think that's one of the beauties of them because you, it's very hard to prepare for because you literally don't know what's going to happen. Because one minute, as I say, the, the right back could be literally in the right back position. The next minute, it could be the left-sided defensive midfielder. But like, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? And once you start asking those questions, you know you're in huge trouble. Yeah, but on that as well, Nedham, there's an innate knowledge, though, isn't there, between, you know, between yeah. the rest of the, the, the players that, for example, if, if Phil Foden has dropped to a position that Pep's asked him to drop, you know, the, the player uh, that, that he's playing in front of Phil or playing alongside Phil in the front three, he knows exactly what he needs to do without yeah. Pep telling him That's, to make yeah. sure that, 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 that where, where Phil would ordinarily be, he is now there. Yeah. And Pep's looking to coach you, but he's also looking for you to, from what he's telling another player to do, know what you need to do as a result of that other player being out of position, so to speak. Yeah. And if Rodri moves 
Diaz, Laporte, Stones know that one needs to drop to cover that position to approach and press the ball a bit more intensely and the other one will cover and maybe the player that's playing on the left will drop, become a left wing back or left back. Everyone will shuffle across and now Laporte's playing holding midfield until Rodri is yeah. back in position. It's it's formidable to watch. It's yeah, that's 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 like true that's like true football in IQ. And like I think you said it before, like it's a true blessing to be able to see it now. Because I think after Pep's leave, Pep leaves, I, I can't see another manager that's given out this level of sort of insight to the players, but then also allowing the players to really blossom with their own minds as well. So it is, it's incredible. Like when you, when you see the way they play, no, nothing's independent. Like if the ball goes back to the goalkeeper, there'll be six players that will be moving in relation to where the ball is at any given time. Whereas in times gone by, like, you know, when, when we were first really buying into football, except for Ian, who was... In about 50, in the fifties and all that stuff, a ball getting rolled back to a goalkeeper meant it's going to get booted to the halfway line. But for City, the two centre back split, the two full backs will go somewhere, the six will drop in somewhere, the two eights will go somewhere, the front line will be moving. However, like that's uh, that is a nightmare. That's an absolute nightmare to play against because it means you have to be fully switched on at all times. Otherwise, you will be punished. Like some people are trying to hammer Tellers for that first Kevin De Bruyne goal. If he gets to KDB, Mahrez is standing at the back post completely free. And that's due to the timing of his run. And Bernardo knowing, like, if I put a cross in, it can go here, it can go there. And people always end up in the right positions. Like, that is a nightmare, honestly. And as you say, that you need the best players to be able to do that with the IQ. So yeah. when Pep says, when Pep says, oh, you know, you're right, I do need to spend all this money and I do need the best players. I can't go down to League Two and, and manage no. like this. He's right, because if you're with a load of players that can't take that in and wouldn't be able to put it into action... Yeah. then that means obviously it's not going to work. So I think he does need that investment. He does need those players to do that. Yeah. I, so sorry to keep going again, Ian. I'm sure you'll get a word in a second. But um, I was when I was at QPR, we had Ian Holloway and he had this, he, tactically, he had some interesting ideas and he tried to sort of instill it in the team that we had at the time. And one of the key ones was you always have three people occupying the back four. He said, never four, always three. So we worked on it for pre-season. And he recorded every training session. Every single time in the training session, there'd be four people up there. So we'd say it again the next day. So we'd try again, four people up there. And the way he described it, I swear, I'll remember it to the day that I die. He said, it's like, I've got this new swimming pool, yeah? I've just got it fitted and I filled it with water today. I went to bed, woke up and it's empty again. Literally like, he's forever having to do the same things. And people, some people just don't get it. They don't understand the point in it. But for these City guys, like we can say, you know, the money and this, that and the other. But some of those players, you wouldn't have thought that they'd be the ones who'd be as good as they are in this setup. Because you have people who we call like geniuses, you know, back in the day, like Javis and all this stuff. But those players that make up that City side, they've, I think City are good at spotting the potential. Because not every player that comes in is the finished article. And I think that's the beauty of Pep, this system and this football club, in my opinion. You've left a little gap for me to come in here, you know. But honestly, Nadam, I'm not bothered if I don't say a word in this. I am fascinated listening <laughs> to you, to Harlan, to Adam. I'm quite happy to sit back. I'll keep redirecting you every now and again if, if we need to. And, and I am going to ask this question now because we've had Adam on the, on the podcast before. Of course, we've had you all on the podcast before. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I know you, I think you've been a fan of, you know, getting going and getting... Um, 
Erling Haaland or somebody like that in the summer. Now, Pep Guardiola, when he's been asked about this in press conferences, most recently, I think it was on Friday, he said, yes, we do need a striker. You know, we do want to sign a striker. But listening to this whole conversation, this wonderful conversation, which I'm just really enjoying, about the fluidity and the cleverness of everything that City do, bringing in a specialist... Unless, of course, he's then taught how to do all the things that you guys have been talking about, could slightly weaken City, couldn't it? Are you still in favour, Adam? Let's you, let you kick off on this with bringing in a specialist striker like Erling Haaland. Doesn't have to be him, of course, but somebody like him. Or when you watch this team playing so well, and for all we know, they could go on and win the league and the Champions League as well this season. You know, and 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 it's like the dream season without a striker. So, so does that have to happen? Does that, is that still what you want? So it is still what I want, but I do, and I was thinking that during the conversation that we just had about fluidity, I was thinking, so does a number nine fit into this? You know, we're saying how amazing it all is, this fluidity, uh, but would a number nine stop that? I, I think we need a change. I think Pep does need something to change to keep him sort of alive and he wants new ideas and he wants a, a new challenge. And I think bringing in a number nine would allow him to create new ways of playing. So although we probably won't be able to operate in the same way that we're operating now, I think that he'll be able to find new ways. So say you've got a number nine, that's a focal point, but then your, your other nine players, outfield players, you know, will might be able to move even more freely because the striker's been occupied by one or two centrals. If they know that it's, it's Harry Kane or Haaland, it's six foot four Haaland. Um, it might provide defenders with different difficulties and, and give forwards more space. So, for example, if you were to bring in Harry Kane and he's got the ability to play a number 10 role, as we've seen, you know, that even the past few weeks, um, he's really hit top form again and he's, he's playing balls like De Bruyne is. And you think, wow, what a forward he is. And I wish we would have got him in, in summer. Um, he, if he drops deep, imagine the space that Mares has to come into, that Grealish can come into. So it, it creates all those different problems now. So, so instead of the questions that people are being asked now as a defensive unit, they're going to be asked different ones next season. So if you, you know, standing still is moving backwards, as they say. So if we, um, if we continue the way we are, then you know, at one point it may not work, um, and we'll need to switch things up. So. I do believe that bringing in a striker is a way to freshen things up. And I just think it'll give Pep sort of a new lease of life in terms of trying to find new answers to new questions. I admit that I'm not an expert on Haaland. I don't watch him as much as I watch other, other players. And I certainly don't watch him for 90 minutes. I'll watch highlights. I look at Harry Kane. I know we had a big debate last summer about whether Harry Kane was the right player. And I, I can't deny I had a few doubts. But and, and and maybe the consistency is a bit of a problem. But you're right, Adam, in that that heart, uh, that Kane drops into positions and is is more fluid. And my concern would be that Haaland isn't that type of player. But given the discussion we've had, I'd be fascinated to hear what Nadim's got to say about this. So, so the, you go. I think the I think Adam made a good point. The way you've seen some of those balls, like when he comes in deep, I think that's good. But you said it's like Kevin De Bruyne. We have Kevin De Bruyne. So we don't necessarily need somebody to be coming back to be making those passes. And I think Harry Kane's link up and all that stuff is good. But saying that City game, the thing I enjoyed the most from him, from a sort of objective standpoint, 
is the fact that he's breaking into the box to try and score goals and affect the game. Because at times, I think he looks, I think in the summer for England to a certain extent and at the start of the season, he might come deep to play those balls high, but then he's not breaking his back to get in there to actually go and get the goals. Because when we think about, in my opinion, when you think about what City feel like they're missing to the eye, it's somebody, you know, getting in a header at the near post or somebody, you know, like a poaching and all that stuff. And that's kind of what I'd want to see more. But then I think with Haaland, in my opinion, is a good mix of, say, like a Kane or whatever, not necessarily coming as deep as he would and he's not got the same range of passing. But then he's not essentially playing like the way Lukaku plays for Chelsea, where he's essentially somebody who will post up and have two touches win the game. I think he's very capable in terms of linking the play, being fluid with his front line because he's done that for Dortmund. But then also he's rapid, like he, he's got wheels on him and he's a big physical presence as well. So the defenders, you'll be thinking to yourself, I can have this physical match up here, but then he can link up with everything. And you know, as soon as the ball goes wide, he's got a huge desire to score goals. And the um, his, his finishing rate, all that stuff's brilliant. And like, you know, we talk about City playing with false nines and all that stuff, but if you literally put a different head on somebody that seems to be scoring goals inside the box, would you be calling them a false knife? Because as soon as it gets to the key areas of the field, they're all in there. Every time the ball goes wide, so you've got three, four, five players in the box. Like that's, if you're going to bring someone in that's going to continue to do that, but maybe is a slightly better finisher on average than say some of the other guys, then so be it. Like I'm sure Kevin will be like rubbing his hands together if he can just get the ball, look up and just play somebody in that's got, as I say, he's rapid. I'll never, I'll be, I'm sort of haunted by the the game last year when they played against Dortmund and he put Ruben Diaz on the floor. He literally stuck his shoulder into him and I thought, oh dear Lord, like what is this? What are these two legs going to be like? I think he's a brilliant player and I think he's not just like as simple as saying he's just a number nine and also he's young enough and he's coachable. So bringing somebody like that, like that into this infrastructure with Pep Guardiola, with the players around him, you're not going to be saying, you're not going to see him standing halfway line with his arms in the air saying, play it this way so I can flick it on for someone. Like, that's not going to be a thing. If Pep thinks he needs someone, he's probably got something lined up in his mind or somebody lined up in his mind that's probably going to break football yet again with the way he's using him. For all we know, he might need a striker to play left back and we'll just have to see and I'm sure they'll be successful with that. Just to confuse everybody now, I'm going to ask Harlan about Harland. Yeah, yeah. No, he's one of them. He's, he's, He's a frighteningly quick bloke. He's big. But I think just to add to what Nadam said then, Ian, I think I think footballers, especially today's footballers, um, you could see these kinds of footballers coming through when Nadam was 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 coming through himself. But years ago, a striker was he looked like a striker, he was built like a striker. Mm. And the chances are that coaches years ago would would give you a position when you were a kid and say, No, you're a big lad, you're tall, you're strong, you're a centre half. No, but no coach, I want to be a right winger. No, 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 sorry. You're not being a right winger. You're big. You've got every characteristic that that a centre-half should have. We want you to be a centre-half. And I think Haaland is blessed with stature and height and build and a big kind of personality that you would ordinarily associate with somebody like Chris Wood. Do you know what I mean? Or somebody Mm. like that. Yet he gives you so much more. And you have to watch him, I suppose, quite a few times to really see it. And Nadam is on about the, the turn last year against Diaz when he bumped him. And I was a bit frightened myself, but we actually nullified Haaland last year ourselves um, because we forced him to have to be 
an old school striker. Didn't allow him to use his pace that much. Didn't allow him to make runs in behind. Um, but we're talking about City here, so there's not many teams that are going to be able to second-guess Pep. Not many managers that are going to be able to second-guess Pep. Maybe in a game he tells Haaland, I want you to play like Chris Wood. In another game, he wants him to do what Aguero used to do. Drift onto the left-hand side, pick something up on the edge of the box, take a touch inside and do what basically Sancho did yesterday, but into the top corner, and do the Aguero manoeuvre, as I nicknamed it, where he swings it into the far post. And, and uh, you know, that's how he scores. Uh, maybe he arrives at the front back post, gives you, you know, a couple of tappings week in, week out. And I think what Harlan gives you, he gives you, he gives you a full front line in in a number nine. So he gives you, you know, a player that can drift out wide, someone that can drop, someone that can race in behind with the pace that Nadam's on about, and somebody that can play as an old school uh, centre forward slash, slash slash striker. So yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a top top player, and I do think we need him in the sense of. We're talking about a fully fit City side here that, that, that is fully fluid. And we all mentioned it at the start of the podcast, Ian. This is so highly demanded by Pep, but it's demanded by players that are fully fit. So if we lose two or three players, it, it might be that you, you need somebody like Haaland or you need a number nine to, to do the other stuff and to score you the goal that wins you the game because the machine isn't as well-oiled as it is before because you've lost too many key elements of it. So I think you'd be daft not to have somebody there as an option, but right now, a striker is still a plan B and not a plan A. When, when we start to maybe lose players to injury and stuff, it obviously comes and becomes more of a plan A. But right now, I'd much rather watch us play without a striker when we're on fire than with one where we maybe do look uh, channeled, if you want to call it that. But Haaland wouldn't, Haaland wouldn't force us to go back to playing, you know, towards a Ronaldo type, if you want to call it that, that wants everything to go through him as a focal point. This is a daft question now, given the conversation we've had, but <laughs> I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, what's Phil Forden's best position? On the field. That's all I'm <laughs> going to say. Literally on the field. I think... It, I think... <sighs> He's just, he's so good. And he's he's like, his football IQ and stuff's going through the roof. Like, I even loved the bit yesterday when he pushed off Wan-Bissaka. That nearly spat my tea out. I thought, I didn't know he was strong as well. Like, he's he's such a good footballer. And once there are certain people playing in and around him, you can see him even excel further. So in terms of that, like, he's good enough to play out wide, to play through the middle, to play as, a, as an eight or whatever. And I think in some ways, I'd rather that than have him completely tie, tied down to one position. Because when he's that sort of good in every single aspect, wherever he goes, he's going to bring a significant threat. And as well, the crazy thing is like, he can still get better as well. Like that's, it's 21 years old. He's this good, but 21, like it's, it's completely bonkers. People have been saying McAtee and Cole Palmer and, you know, and other, other players, and obviously City of San Alvarez for next season, he's going to come in as well. Um, they're saying that all of these players, you know, are as good as Foden or, or possibly even better. I mean, it, it's a, there's never been a better time to be a blue, has there? <laughs> no, that's it's, it's special. It's just a bit annoying how they're all left-footed. What happens to the right is you need to more justice for right-footed players. Bring, bring some of those in as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know where, I don't know where Foden's best position is, but he doesn't really need to have one, does he? Considering how, we play, it's it's great. It's a benefit for him to be flexible. I don't think him having one position will be beneficial to him anyway. I think 
it's it's great for him to be able to fit in wherever he's needed because um, obviously different oppositions bring different challenges and and if Foden needs to play on one side because the player on that side can't deal with someone like him uh, one week but then it's someone on the other side that, that's that's weaker against him another week then that's better so I think having that versatility can only help him keep you know keep being first choice in a squad that's only getting stronger and is we're only going to keep making sure we're at the top, you know, it's so difficult to be in this side in the first place. If you pigeonhole yourself, then you're going to struggle, aren't you? So I think he's preferred on the wing at the moment. Maybe maybe Guardiola feels like he's not got the, the footballing know-how to be a number eight yet. Um, they always say it's, I don't know myself, but it's easier to be a winger in terms of, you know, thinking about things IQ-wise, maybe easier to be on the wing than it is inside. I don't know if that's true or not, but that, that's what it seems to me. It seems to me like he's, I envisioned him as a number eight, but maybe that'll come later on in his career. Um, but at the moment, I mean, seeing how explosive he is wide coming inside or even being in that you know, false number nine position and then switching it up, then uh, yeah, he's just dynamite anywhere, isn't he really? Obviously, City are in the box seat against Sporting Lisbon. And I remember watching the first game out there and doing a tweet after, I think, 16 minutes when City were 2-0 up and saying, I know some old school City fans won't like me saying this, but this game's all over already. I did get one or two back to me saying, you're tempting fate, what are you saying that for? Once it got to 5-0, I think most people accept that that the game is done. So I don't want to talk about that game. And I'm not tempting fate by that saying that. Come on, the game is done. I mean, City could lose the game 4-0, which they're not going to do. And they'll still go through. <coughs> but Crystal Palace. Now, that's the next league game. We've talked about how brilliant City were against United. And it's not that long ago that that 5-0 victory happened against Sporting Lisbon, where a lot of people said to me that was perfection. That was City at their absolute best. And we saw what happened in the next game. They lost at home to Tottenham. Do, you, do I, any of the three of you look at the, the Crystal Palace game and the way that they will set up and play slightly different in their little intense stadium down in southeast London and, and worry about that game? Or do you feel as if now this perfect team that we've talked about and which we, we love in watching will sweep Crystal Palace away and and it'll des- then go on to the Liverpool game as, as the big sort of crunch one? I, I, for me, I don't think the mentality should be that you sweep anyone away between now and the end of the season because every team that you come up against has got a different goal in mind, but they're running out of time. So there's a level of desperation that exists within their style of football. Whatever they want to achieve, now's the time for it. It's not a case of, oh, it'll be five, six games time, we'll be fine. Like, it's, it's going to be tough whether you're playing a team that's fourth bottom. Like, if you play them in December, it's very different to playing them come April time. You know, City's like, still got Burnley and Leeds away. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Like, these games will be tough matches. And for as much talent as City have and their ability and all that stuff, the opposition will always have enough talent to be able to make a game of it and potentially win it themselves if things go their way. Like the first goal, the crowd affecting referees, you know, like City away from home. If the crowd start getting on people, like getting on the referee before you know it, they'll be melting because the ref will be thinking, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to show bias for City. So they go the other way. You know what I mean? There's lots of stuff like that. So I don't think any game is going to be that easy. And I think Palace are a good side. City are obviously far better, but like I say, if City plays, it's all about performance to me with City. If City play well, then it's almost like, it almost feels like a guarantee that they'll win. Almost feels like that. And I hate saying that, but that's what it is when they're going. 
because they are so far much better than everybody else. And it's not just one or two players, it's the collective. But you just, as I say, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, it's the Premier League at the end of the day. And if it was easy and every result was guaranteed, nobody would be watching. So it could be a good game. But you always fancy them. It doesn't matter where they go. Like, it's weird to think the City are the favourites wherever they go on planet Earth is a truly, like, staggering thing to get my head around. But it's for a reason. So going to Selhurst Park is one of those where, for Palace, they think they'll have a chance because they have their home crowd and they're a good team. But City are better. So if they perform, then, you know, you, you tend to have confidence in them, don't you? You two agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Go on, Adam. Yeah, I agree. I, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, Nedham, about um, Vieira. Did mm. you cross paths with him? Yeah, I was. Play, I was in the city. Yeah, I was in the yeah. city. Yeah. Did you Did you get the sense that he was gonna be sort of a, a manager? Yeah, uh, he, he's he's class because he yeah. kind of like Mancini kind of brought him in for the dressing room and all that stuff. And like, what a guy! Because I remember. Back in the day, my biggest memories of Vieira was when we'd be at like Main Road and he's just flicking balls over midfielders' heads and stuff like yeah. this, just completely humiliating City over and over and over. But then he came in, really nice guy, hard worker, doing all that he could. And he was like, he had the presence, you know, like, because he was a Premier League great and he's at City. Like, this is weird. Why is Patrick Vieira just there? Why am I chatting to him? You know, it just felt like, for me personally, I was like, why, what, like, he, like coming in, you're right, Patrick. He says, yeah, you're right, Nathan. I'm like, nah, this isn't happening. That's Patrick Vera. No way should this be at City at all. But you could see he has a true understanding of the game. He's played in England, played in France, played in Italy, uh, to name but three places. And he's played for some very big clubs and won everything. His leadership, he was a captain of a team that never lost a game in the Premier League. And he's not one of those over-the-top, like, shouting for the sake of the crowd to see that he's shouting, but nobody on the field respects him. Like, everybody respects him. So when he speaks, you listen. And I think the way he's gone into management with his vision in terms of how he wants to play, like it didn't go well f- that well from in France, I don't think. But in terms of England, he commanded respect straight away. And Palace, they're like a new side. Like if you compare this Palace side to the Roy Hodgson Palace side, like there's a, I, I bet down there the fans are happy to go to games now because they think they might get something exciting as opposed to potentially just getting a result. So, yeah, I, I could see him being a coach and I'm, I'm glad to see him doing well because he, you know, like, as, as I say, you do well to find anybody with a bad word to say about him, apart from maybe Roy Keane, I guess. And that's, that's why I wanted to bring it up because I think, I, you know, I've watched him, I don't profess to watch them loads, but I've seen him a few times this season and I just think, well, he's got, he's got him working, you know, he's got a clear mm. idea of how he wants them to play and they're, they're playing really well. They look exciting, don't they, to watch? Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's what any fan wants. So, of course, he can give us a game. I mean... I'm nervous for every game now going towards the end of the season. It feels like it's going to be one of those 18, you know, the 18-19 season where every game where you drop, you literally drop, what, two points and you feel like it's all over. Yeah, um, it, it could get to a point where, you know, if Liverpool beat us and we're on the same amount of points, it literally is again, draw and it's done. Like, Do, do you think, um, like, maybe, maybe, Alec, I'm trying to make this story too perfect now. Do you reckon somehow United beat Liverpool? And like it gives City like a, an unassailable <laughs> lead in the league or something like that. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, is that, is that too much? Is that fa- it's pure fantasy now. After that derby match, do you really think United can beat Liverpool? Well, you ask yourself the question when you get that low, can you get lower? Do you know what? Way up from here? Do you know what? I honestly think that, that the redemption for losing that derby the way they lost it yesterday is to beat Liverpool. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's how they, they, they kind of repair the fans for the embarrassment of yesterday. Maybe that's how they, they prove to themselves that even though they're not proving anything because we know they are as bad as they are. They, they try and paper over the cracks with the win over Liverpool or win against Liverpool. Um, 
I wouldn't put it past United beating Liverpool. I wouldn't. Um, and I wouldn't put it past them. I'd say the most realistic scorelines, maybe one all, maybe nil nil one all. Maybe they get a point out, out of it, which which helps us anyway. Um, but I genuinely wouldn't. I wouldn't write that off. No, I know what you're saying on paper and and on yesterday's evidence. Liverpool should spank them four or five, but it is what it is. But um, yeah, just going back to to, to Crystal Palace, I, I always get excited when we play Palace. I don't know what it is. I just feel like they offer you whether it's Hodgson, whether it's Vieira, they offer you. There's so many. They're not as quality as our players, but they've got all different types of players. They've got like Mateta. Wilfred Zaha is a Wilfred wonderful, wonderful player, isn't he? Wilfred Zaha's quality, you know, but then they've got Milivojevic, who's a bit of an enforcer, you know, penalty uh, specialist. They've they've got, you know, brilliant um, centre-halves. They've got, uh, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Is it, is it Gui? Gui, yeah. yeah. Gehi, sorry, great centre-half. Um, you know, they've even got Tompkins, who's played the game for quite a long time. So he's, he's still in that squad experienced. Um, they're not all fine, finely oiled players that are in a finely oiled machine, so to speak, but they've got so many different players that just work together as a team. Almost like the Leicester team that won the league in. Do you know what I mean? Not, not, the, not the best squad of 25 men, but but a squad that they are starting to... Maybe Vieira took this from, from his time at City. Their signings in summer, they signed specific players to fit specific positions to, or shall I say, to fill specific positions to do a certain job, to add to what they already had. And then he got rid of stuff that maybe wasn't what was required. So maybe Vieira took that from the, the CFG model, um, from conversations with Caldoun and, and Cheeky, Ferran maybe, and, and just maybe asking as a manager or as a coach, how would you recruit if you got given that opportunity to do that at Crystal Palace? Just before we move on again, um, just something relating to overall performance and fluidity again. Um, I was impressed to see Laporte with Stones yesterday play as well as he did. Right, they weren't troubled as much as maybe they could have been, but usually when Rashford and Lingard come on, they'd give you a bit more. They were criticising him on match of the day for for the lack of determination to, to affect the game yesterday, which I wasn't expecting from it, to be honest. I thought Rashford would come on and, and maybe see this as an opportunity to, to equalise or something. But... Um, I thought that the discipline they showed and the passing especially and the quality of playing out yesterday between Laporte and Stones was brilliant. The understanding, the, 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 the trust between them and Edison. And if you remember, we lost to Spurs just before we signed. Oh no, did we sign him before the Spurs game or just after? We lost to Leicester 5-2 at the start of last season and we were about to sign Diaz. And Stones and Laporte were having a torrid time playing together. Um... They've not played that much together with Ruben Diaz in this squad. But yesterday, you'd have thought that Diaz didn't play for us and that they had played together for the last season and a half non-stop. And I think that Ruben's got a lot to do with that, even though he was absent, because his, his quality for a 24-year-old player and his leadership and his quality as maybe, when playing with either of the two, has given them their own confidence, their own kind of development time and period. And then when the two come back together, they look like they should have looked before Ruben arrived. So by signing Ruben Diaz, we've signed a top quality centre half. We've also signed a mentor without telling him he's a mentor. And both players that he's played alongside now, including Aki as well, who's looked better, have, have turned into a really good two or, one or two partnerships in themselves. So to have that and no Ruben is, is phenomenal. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of come back to the 
Patrick Vieira just to finish this podcast off in a second with a, a personal story. Uh, I did talk to Ali Benabia um, uh, half time in the game. And if anybody's watched the match day vlog that I do, um, you'll have seen him predict that Riyad Mahrez would get a goal in the second half and maybe even two, and that City might win 4 1, which I thought was a bit Nostradamus ish of him. Um, but he also described United as being like a snake. And, and given the conversation that you've had there about what United might do to Liverpool, I wonder if that's another little bit of foresight from, from Ali. Have a look at the uh, the match day vlog. But I've got to tell you this, one of the best experiences I ever had in my life was um, I used to do a lot more for the club. And uh, on the away European trips, I was asked to host various events for them. And City played in Naples. Now, Naples is a beautiful, beautiful city on the bay. Vesuvius, Pompeii and all the rest of it. And the, the club, for their corporate guests, had hired a restaurant which overlooked the Bay of Naples. So you could see Capri down one side. It was a beautiful sunny day. And, uh, and I was asked to host it. And Patrick Vieira and Tony Book were the two, they were the ones I was going to speak to, to the corporate guests. So all these people who paid a lot of money were took on a coach. It took about 45 minutes, I think, through the streets of Naples, out to this beautiful restaurant where we had fantastic food and everything like that. And, uh, and, and, and then this limousine pulled up outside the hotel and the club said to me, uh, right, you and Patrick and Tony go in the limousine. So I get in the back of this limousine with Patrick Vieira, Tony Buck and a guy driving us. And I'm sitting there with a club suit on thinking this has got to be one of the best days of my life. I spent 45 minutes going there, 45 minutes coming back, making small talk with Patrick Vieira and Tony Buck. Now, I've got to know Tony over the years quite a lot and he's just such a lovely lovely gentleman and a fantastic ambassador for City you know that anyways big manager player but I'd never really got that close to Patrick he's he's a gentle giant he's such a he's such a, a, a gentleman was made for Patrick Vieira and yet you watched him on the field you, you saw those those things that he did you know with Roy Keane and everything and he's like the exact opposite but as a guy off the field, he's a gentle giant. I'm right, Ned. Amani, you yeah. must have had that experience with yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. His class is like he's so welcoming. Like as I say, when he, the time when he came to City, like I'd I'd been at City when you know we were signing players who were like failing medicals at 19 other Premier League clubs, but you know somehow had signed on for City and all that. And then there's Patrick Vieira. No names, no pack drill. Yeah, listen, you can, yeah, you can you can just you can Google some of those yourself. But um, but the next thing, it's like Patrick there, and he's just he's just trying to fit in, just trying to be a nice guy, trying to make sure everyone understands what he's doing. And like so his football wasn't as good as it had been at his peak because his knees were like blown up. But what a humble guy! Like to I don't I don't think I've said this on here before, but this is like there are certain things that happened in my career which sort of affects my mind state a lot, and this was one. So this was around the time where the emphasis was on defenders playing really nice balls, diagonals, all this stuff. And then Patrick was saying one day, do you know what my biggest regret is? I said, no, what was it? He said, I wish I would have kept it more simple and just given it to the good players, he said. So I was like, all right, no worries, mate. If you're saying that, there's not a chance on planet Earth I'm ever going to force the ball again. If that's your perception of what football is, listen, I'm, I'm on your side. Don't even consider a diagonal from me, friend. Whatever you need, I'll deliver it to you. Deliver it to the next guy. 
great way to end the podcast. Um, thanks very much to Adam and to Harlan, and of course to the brilliant Nadim Newark. You could, I, I feel like I should be inviting you on every week, Nadim. You're just absolutely brilliant. Uh, thanks to CharlesLouis.co.uk for their sponsorship. Check them out. Have a look at the website and uh, look at the phone number. Give them a call if you've got any advice you need on on mortgages or buying or selling a property, even if it's something in that area where they're based, which is near Bury. Have a look at the properties they've got. But um, we've really, I've really enjoyed this. I always enjoy when you come on, Nadem. I'll try not to over my day. I know you're a very busy man. <laughs> I'm not that busy, trust on me. Again. <laughs> you're confusing me. That's my care. I, I'm actively refusing work. So trust me, I'm not that busy. I'm really? Busy, so yeah, don't worry about that. As long as you don't refuse me, that'll nah, do for never, me. never. never. <laughs> uh, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Harlan. Um, we'll do it all Always again fun. on Sunday night. Uh, that will be ahead of the Crystal Palace game. So we'll talk about that and nod out a little bit more. Um, and and uh, and thanks very much for listening. And uh, if ever there was a time to say this, uh, this is the time, isn't it? Isn't it great to be a blue? <laughs>